0: I'm going to pray too. Lord, I just pray that your spirit flow through the word and the service this morning. And uh, as one of my favorite teachers would pray, Lord, if I speak anything that's not your word for today, then let everyone forget it. And whatever is your word for today, let everyone remember it. Amen. Amen. Um, it's a blessing to be here. I know, or I've, at least I've met most of you here, but I don't know all of you well. Um, I'm blessed to have a bunch of my family here. I didn't know that my wife invited all my family to come hear me speak this morning, so my parents are here and two of my brothers and my sister-in-law and some good friends and niece. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, well, Henry kind of let off on a little bit of my message this morning before offering. I was worried he was going to preach the whole thing before I got a chance, but but he didn't, he didn't quite go there. Um, but the... Um, the message the Lord gave me for today is uh, on strongholds and values and uh, this is a message that has been, it's really been driving my own discipleship and study for, for the last season, for about a year and a half. You know, it's been, as we know, it's been a very shaking year and a half in the world and uh, there's a lot of things that have manifested through that. Um, back when uh, when the COVID outbreak was starting or or getting widespread in in February or March of last year the Lord spoke to me and he said watch the strongholds of fear offense and rebellion manifest in the land and we saw that happen in you know in, incredibly in the over the last year and a half you know that um, the fear was evident first of all you know and initially as fear of the virus there are people well, that were completely paralyzed by fear and fear took over their life and then and then we saw um, not just fear of the virus but then you know there, there's fear of of the ramifications fear of the shutdowns fear of the economy uh, fear of the government overreach you know and, and no matter where it was oriented we saw this outbreak of of fear and then offense you know that that was just ridiculous last year you know it, it because of the it was mostly driven by the fear but then you know, if you're if you don't wear a mask, you'll offend somebody. If you do wear a mask, you might offend somebody. If you open your business, you can offend somebody. If you don't, you can you'll offend somebody. You know, and and then um, and then the third one was was rebellion, which you know kind of came out of the other two. But uh, and when the when the government orders started rolling out, um, and even the even just the local business decisions and stuff, you know, rebellion is. It's a tricky thing to deal with in America because it's a it's a cultural birthright of ours in, as Americans, and uh, we don't like being told what to do, you know. And there's there there's value on both sides of that, but it can become a spiritual stronghold. And the thing about and so uh, the thing about strongholds is they don't go away. They don't go away until they're addressed. And the enemy uses events. He will use events. Um, both on a global stage and an individual level and in uh, trauma or or incidents that occur to us. The the enemy will use events to gain strongholds within us, but they don't go away until they're addressed. Um, Attitudes have power, and our attitudes create strongholds. And a stronghold... um, it's probably easiest to understand in, in a literal sense. A stronghold is ground held by the enemy inside conquered territory. And so as Christians, a stronghold is a place within us where the enemy ha- has a foothold. Um, I listened to a, uh, a week or two ago, I, w- I listened to an interview um, from a, a retired Marine who had served in Afghanistan. And we know that you know the Afghanistan withdrawal a couple weeks ago. Uh, and the disaster that was. But the interviewer asked him, how, could, how did the Taliban take over so quickly? And his answer was, because they were never gone, because we never completely took the strongholds. You know, we, we, we controlled Afghanistan, but, but there were strongholds that remained. And, and the principle is true in faith, in our Christianity. Sometimes we, we give our hearts to Jesus, we give our lives to the Lord, but sometimes there's still, there's still strongholds where the enemy has a little foothold. And um, when we allow strongholds to remain, sometimes they they kind of disappear, they go dormant for a while, but they'll resurface when given the opportunity. Um, so what are spiritual strongholds? Sustained attitudes, beliefs, values, and behaviors that are opposed to God's. Um, unconfronted strongholds never shrink, they don't go away, they only grow and they spread. And what and what ke- begins as an issue of belief, as an emotional or mental issue, oftentimes becomes a spiritual, uh, emotional, and even physical issue. And this is, this is an interesting concept, kind of diverging from the, from the word specifically, but there's this uh, trend, I guess, that's been growing in, in modern science, you know, called holistic medicine or the holistic outview, you know, and, and people are... It kind of you know started as a hippie thing, and now it's more mainstream. But people are are finally realizing that emotional emotional issues have physical manifestations, and mental issues have physical and emotional manifestations. You know, and we're we're realizing that the way the Lord created us is isn't as divided parts, but as parts of a whole, and that uh, each part affects the whole. And the, Funny thing is, you know, like I said, modern medicine, at least Western modern medicine, is kind of just catching on to this, but the Lord told us about it over 3,000 years ago in what Jesus called the greatest commandment, which he quoted from Deuteronomy. That's why the, he said, the Lord told Moses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, your body. The Lord specifically addressed the four parts that make up the whole man, and for some reason it, most of us have have kind of missed it over the years and we, we've created we kinda got the idea that salvation is, is just a just a spiritual issue, you know. Uh, a teacher that I like, um, David Pawson, he, he addresses this, you know, he said, We've got for the last couple hundred years we have the mindset that the Lord that Jesus died to create or Jesus died to save souls. But what the word says is Jesus died to save whole people. And the result is that oftentimes we have people, we have Christians living their life with a saved soul, but an unredeemed mind, or emotions, or body. And the Lord's heart is to save the whole people. Um, So strongholds can occupy all four areas of a person, which are supposed to be occupied by love for God. That's what what Moses said, that's what Jesus said. and what does it mean practically to love God? Well, Jesus, re- Jesus defined it in John 14. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He who knows my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Jesus repeated this um, consistently. So loving the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength means obeying him in every area and bringing every area into submission with him. Um, and uh, when I, I kind of came across this, I uh, and started looking into it, and realized that if you re- if you look for it, if you read through, if you read the Bible, it's very it's very literal about the four parts of the whole man. If you look for it, um, I mean, it, in Psalms, you know, David spoke repeatedly about my heart, my soul, my flesh, my mind. He, I mean, he he would break it down and list them. And I, I always kind of just thought it was poetry, you know, like, oh, that, you know, David's just using poetic phrasing or something. But, but David had this understanding that that was really the way the Lord saw him. Uh, unfortunately, many people are very unclear about their parts and roles. And that's not the main topic for today. Whole man discipleship is a, is a different topic that could easily take a whole course. But... Um, I, but I, I did feel like the Lord wanted me to go over it just, just a little bit. So, and this is something that I've, I've taught a little bit before, but whole man discipleship, the, the approach to it basically goes like this. We have to understand that two of God's values are order and hierarchy. Everything that God creates, he puts in order. There's nothing he's made that doesn't have a place. Starting from the creation story, Genesis says, as a couple examples, he made the sun to rule over the day and the moon to rule over the night. He gave man dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. He created an order of hierarchy in marriage and in family, and he also created an order of hierarchy in the four parts he created in us. Um, this is a another message. That, <laughs> there's a lot of messages that this touches on, but. Uh, the holiness of hierarchy is something that, um, that a lot of people miss or neglect, because you, know, especially in, in the West and in, in America, we have a, um, well, we have a strong value for individual rights and liberties, and we also have a strong value of equality. You know, our, our, um, our Bill of Rights says all men are created equal. And that's true. But we have to understand that equality and value isn't equality in a role, right? Despite the fact that we're all equal and we we are all equal in value, but the Lord puts us in different roles, and He the Lord always has order, you know. And the a lot of the uh, rebellious um, cultural ideals and stuff is like. Uh, you know, every, everybody being on the same level, that you know, Marxism and equity and stuff. is like everybody will just be the same, we'll be an equal democracy, and we'll all get along. Well, that's contrary to the values of God. God always created order. He always created structure and hierarchy. Um, even, even, if you read into it, in the Trinity, even the Trinity has hierarchy. Jesus said, Jesus the Son said, I can only do what my Father tells me to do. And he said, I send my spirit who will do what I speak. There's a hierarchy, even even in the Trinity of the Godhead, God always intends order, structure, and hierarchy. Um, And he also created a correct order of hierarchy in the four parts of man, heart, mind, body, and soul. Um, The mind submits to the spirit, the body and the heart and emotions submit to the mind, and the soul submits to the word and the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and once you, when you have your self, your four parts in order, you'll be a much less chaotic person inside because you'll understand like when, when you feel a strong emotion, you subject your emotion to the spirit and to your mind. You don't, you don't be led by the emotion. I, w- I was sharing this with somebody once and uh, they were kind of having trouble with it because they thought that I was I was putting down the value of emotion, you know And like well, they're like, well, God created emotion, God created a heart. And I said, yeah, but he didn't create it to lead all the time. It's like, and I, I got this picture. think of your heart, mind, body, and soul as all being in the car, all navigating yourself down the down the road. They all have a voice, they can all contribute, but they don't all get to drive. And if you're if you're if the car of yourself is con- constantly has drivers fighting over the steering wheel, you're going to have a very unstable and chaotic life, right? They all have a, they all have a role, they all have value, um, but they, they must submit to, their, to the authority, to the leadership, or else they're just fighting for position all the time. Um, so the, the body and heart submit to the mind, the mind submits to the, to the soul. Soul and spirit are kind of used interchangeably in the Bible, you know, but it's my spirit, and my spirit submits to the Holy Spirit, to the Lord and his word. Um, a couple scriptures. Uh, most of my scriptures this morning I'm just going to read rather than, rather than turn to, but there's a few that we'll read together, but this is from 2 Corinthians 10. Bring every thought into captivity to the, the obedience of Christ. Disciple your mind. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart above all else, for it is a source of life. Disciple your heart and emotions. First Corinthians 9 says, I I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. And uh, Galatians 5 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, That's again, discipling the flesh, the body and being led by the spirit. Um, So back to strongholds, we must understand that if God is concerned with our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls, then he also cares about our emotions, attitudes, thoughts, and beliefs. The, there's kind of a, a traditional view of, of sin, kind of going back to the, to the Catholic culture, that sin is only related to the physical and the spiritual. Um, and we often leave our, our thoughts and emotions out of it. But when you read the Bible, there are actually more commandments given in the Bible related to attitudes, beliefs, and thoughts than there are to actions, um, and I, I understand I wasn't here for it, but I've heard that you guys have done some done some study on sins, iniquities, and transgressions, and the the definite the differences and definitions of that. And this is kind of falls under that category because sins might only be our literal physical actions, but we're called the Lord commands us not just to avoid sin, but also our the iniquities of our hearts and minds. Um, so back to back to what I started with, the Lord has sp- spoke to me about fear, offense, and rebellion. And these three in particular are often they're difficult to convict because they're easy to justify. You know, if it's a it takes a very definitely takes being guided by the spirit and having a, a good relationship to try to confront someone about an issue they have of fear, rebellion, or offense, because it's so just, you know, it's justifiable. You tell someone, if someone's captivated by fear because of the COVID virus, and you call it to their attention and say, I think you have a fear issue here that you you need to get free of, what do they do? They they defend it. They justify it. Well, don't you know how bad it is? You know, it, it could kill me. And... And uh, we do the same thing with rebellion. We justify it. We do the same thing with offense. We justify it. Um, And my goal this morning is not to talk specifically about those three, but I am going to highlight a couple things about them. Um, Fear, there's only one kind of fear that is blessed in the Bible, that's spoken of positively in the Bible, and that's fear of the Lord. There's this trendy phrase today called healthy fear. You know, Teach your kids healthy fear to keep them out of trouble, keep them from getting hurt. It's quite simply not in the Bible. There's no healthy fear in the Bible except fear of the Lord. And I was thinking about this, and all of a sudden, my mind went to David. David was a teenager when he was out in the field in the woods by himself. He killed a bear, and he killed a lion. I don't think he had healthy fear. I don't think David had the healthy fear that any of us would teach our kids. You know, I mean, I, I know you guys got some rough, rowdy kids, but I don't think you teach them to go hunt bears by themselves. You know, and uh, and then it, uh, he was still a, he was still a youth when he went and killed Goliath, and there there is no mention of healthy fear or caution in David's story at all. You read the whole story; there's it it it's not in there, and the Lord. Later called David a man after his own heart. So there's something, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to go into like specifics of parenting or anything. But I think as Christians, we need to kind of get the word healthy fear out of our vocabulary simply because it, it's not in the Bible. We, and we need to find another way to te- I mean, to teach our kids reasonable safety without teaching them that fear can be good um because for one one possibility is you teach your kids that some fear can be good and as they grow up they start adding to the list fear of this could be good and fear of that could be good and fear fear of failure could be good and fear of disease could be good you know and and the problem is when we allow a stronghold of a belief in healthy fear we keep on adding to the list and fear becomes a larger and larger stronghold in our lives um I wrote down here, healthy fear or positive fear besides fear of the Lord is never mentioned in the Bible, but we are commanded not to fear over a hundred times in the Bible. Um, Offense. Offense is basically an unnecessary negative reaction to someone else's deeds or words. You know, and, you know, offense is kind of, there's the initial reaction, you know, somebody says something rude to you or does something rude to you and you're like, oh, I don't like that. But... It's the it's the second second. It's the stronghold, whether you allow it to stick or not, whether you're quick to forgive or not. Um, the Bible says, uh, Proverbs 19 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You know, in we've got, I don't know, there, there's many, many people have a stronghold of basically holding on to everything, you know, because it's like if I, uh, Henry and I, I were talking about this at Sam's the other day. There's this belief we get that, like, if I let go of it, then I'm letting them get away with it, right? So we hold on to every, every offense and every wrong ever done to us. Um, but it, it doesn't affect the other person. It only affects us. It creates a stronghold in us. And uh, it, was the, it was the first time I remember reading this proverb when I looked it up for this message. Proverbs 19, uh, it's verse 11. And it says, it is glory to overlook an offense. That was a good, that's a good one. I, I, I like that one. Um, and then, of course, one, another verse is from uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrong. That's kind of hard. It's either, we're good at keeping records. It's harder to deliberately not keep records of wrongs. It's kind of, you know, it's easier to keep them. Um, And then I'm going to go, I'm going to talk a little bit about, about rebellion. Um, Because again, I felt like the Lord told me to talk a little bit about these three. Uh, People usually think of rebellion as being towards a person or an authority figure or entity. But when rebellion takes hold as a spiritual stronghold, it manifests towards God, his work, and the very principles of order he created. Even towards the duties of their own leadership. I'll come back to that in a minute. But... Um. I, I listened to a preacher just the other day who said, you can't claim to be submitted to God if you're not submitted to the, other, to the people that he put in order over you. And I was like, man, I don't like that, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> we do that pretty often. You know, like I said, I, I mean, Americans, from the start, have we have a cultural... Inheritance, a cultural heritage of rebellion—that was the birth of our nation—and and I think out up here as Alaskans, and even farther out here as North Roaders, you know, there's this uh, independent spirit and, and self-reliance. And like I said, there, like, there's good in all of that, but uh, we have to we have to be careful not to allow a spiritual stronghold that manifests in areas of our life um and uh like i said it um rebellion when rebellion takes hold as a stronghold it begins it begins to spread and it manifests in other areas i talked about that a little bit earlier um one of the things the uh, one of the um tricky things about rebellion that I, i've i've seen i've observed in myself and in others and it's when uh When rebellion takes hold as a stronghold, it manifests um it starts manifesting everywhere One th- like you know for example if you you allow a spirit of rebellion to dwell in you towards your boss you 've got a bad boss and you allow rebellion to take hold as a as a stronghold it starts spreading it starts growing and and sometimes it 's very subtle at first, but it 's like it sometimes like, I start rebelling, I allow a stronghold of rebellion in me against against a boss or something else, and soon I'm, I'm rebelling against, I, I'm less likely to read the Bible. I, got a, I get a little bit of rebellion towards towards the Word, and then I've noticed I'll start rebelling against my own disciplines, you know? I, I, sometimes I go through seasons of life, sometimes I'm very disciplined, I get up early in the morning, read the Word spend my, my quiet time before I go to work, and I, I'll start rebelling against that. You know, ah, I, don't, I don't need that. I want to sleep in, you know. Even rebelling against my own disciplines. And then often the, um, the, uh, um, the word I was thinking of, lost it. Um, and then the surprising manifestation sometimes that a lot of people don't, aren't aware of or don't expect is rebellion causes it returns into rebellion again even against my own role as a leader when i become a bad follower or servant because of rebellion i start becoming a bad husband and a bad father like my attitude towards leadership becomes my attitude towards my own leadership and i start becoming more indecisive less just less of a leader in my own family and and in my i in my in my business in my my Bible study, whatever you know whatever the role of leadership that the Lord has given me, um, strongholds like this spread, and if I allow rebellion upwards, it turns into rebellion downwards, it turns into rebellion towards the Lord, it turns into rebellion towards just the basic principles and order that he created and so this is some of the danger of of um, spiritual strongholds. And these are just three common ones, like I said, that the Lord highlighted to me last year and has been talking to me about. Um, other potential strongholds include greed, envy, entitlement, pride, victim mentality, laziness, anger, strife, which is spreading divisiveness. We were talking the other day about about, about peacemakers and the opposite of peacemakers, strife makers, you know, the people who just never get along with anybody and, and, and spread division. Um, and there, there, are several lists in the Bible. Uh, if you if you do a concordance search of things the Lord hates, there's multiple lists in the Bible, and and they're not uh, they're not cozy. They're <laughs> they're convicting. Um, but the Lord, uh, he hates these iniquities because they drive us from him, and they're things that that he calls us to deal with. Um, the problem. So part of the problem with uh, spiritual strongholds is it creates internal conflict because we're not created to handle them. Um, and I, I got this, this uh, metaphor. It's like ha- um, having spiritual strongholds that are not intended to dwell in us is like putting pressure in a vessel that's not meant to be pressurized. You know, There's, a, there's enough industrial and oil field guys in here. You know what happens if you pressurize a vessel that's not meant to hold pressure What happens? Eventually, it leaks, and sometimes it leaks in big blowouts. Sometimes it just leaks a little bit here and there. Um, But and and that's something we see. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone where you stumble across a stronghold. You know, you just you say something, and you the the term today that they use is triggers. You know, you hit a trigger, and all of a sudden there's this big reaction. You're like, wow. Didn't see that coming, you know? But it's these spiritual strongholds that have been allowed to exist. And when you bump into a stronghold, it manifests. Um, The other thing about internal conflict, like I said, internal conflict is like we have values of the Lord, and then we have values contrary to the Lord. And they create conflict in us. And I think of it kind of like uh, vinegar and baking soda. You know that, that's where the pressure comes from because you've got an incompatible mix in there that creates pressure, and internal conflict manifests in things that today doctors call anxiety and depression, which are two of the biggest, the most widespread. I think the most widespread diagnoses in in the U.S. and I think in the Western world, um, mental mental emotional issues like anxiety and depression, and it it comes from living with incompatible values inside of you, and uh, it's, not, it's not sustainable. Um, fortunately, not only does God desire the submission of the whole man for himself, or be, I should say because he desires the submission of the whole man to himself, he also promises redemption for the whole man when we repent. Um, I'm going to go through a couple scriptures quick. Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 8 says, and if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That's restoration for the body. Um, and Psalms 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalms 51 is uh, its called the repentance chapter. If you're ever looking for a model of repentance, just pray through Psalms 51. David. David covered it all. He, cut his, he covers sins, iniquities, transgressions in the heart, mind, body, and soul, uh, confession, repentance, turning, and accepting accepting redemption. It's a very complete model for repentance in Psalms 51. So how do we take down strongholds? Well, the Bible's pretty clear on, on most issues like this. We repent and we change by walking in the opposite spirit. We displace the dark with the light. Um, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 10. says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Um, So he's talking about. Paul's talking about weapons of our warfare. And then in in another one of his books, in Ephesians 6, this is a scripture that all of us and the kids are familiar with. The weapons of our warfare, he he laid it out. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, as shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That part of that is knowing the word. Um, take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. So these are these are the values of God that we use to displace the strongholds of the enemy. That um, there one of the I, I love when when there's like the Lord gives us physical metaphors for principles in the Bible, which he usually does. You know That's why Jesus spoke so much through, through parables because the Lord created this, this world and the systems in it and he set the world in motion and every single principle in the world basically demonstrates part of God's character. And so I was thinking about the principle of displacement. To take out a stronghold, you have to put something else in. You have to displace it. And, and the Lord gives us the, his values that displace the values that are opposed to him. Um, strongholds of the enemy can only be conquered by the values of God. That's why we as Christians must know and practice the values of God. It's not enough just to know we're saved. Excuse me. It's not enough just to know stories. It's not even enough to know the Bible if it doesn't transform every area of your life with its truth. There's there's people out there who know the Bible very well from like an academic study standpoint, but it has no application in their life almost because it's like they they read it like a textbook, not not a manual. You know, there's a big difference between reading a reading a, a book and reading a manual of how I'm supposed to do something. You know, that one it manifests in my life and that's the way the Bible's intended to be. Um, it's not even enough to know rules, because if you know rules without values, you only know what to do, but not why. Um, Paul said, I preach Christ and him crucified. That's because Christ in his life and death is the perfect manifestation of every truth and value of the Lord. Jesus lived every single value and truth of the Lord. Um, that line I just said, it's not enough to know rules just b- rules because if you know rules without values, you only know the, what to do but not why. This is something that we've put into practice in, in our parenting. You know, it, you can teach kids rules, and you can teach kids to obey rules just because, for the sake of the list of rules, but if you don't teach values, if you don't teach w- the why behind the rules, then when they get old enough, they look at those rules and go, I don't know why I was doing that, and and they veer off, you know, and I think that Many of the, I think that many of the prodigal Christian kids, um, went oh, fell away because when they grew to an age of self-determination, they didn't they didn't have the values behind the rules. They understood they they still knew the rules. They knew what they should be doing because their parents taught them what they should be doing, but they didn't have a grasp of why. Um, v- values are what create culture. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that a little bit. So, what are God's values? Um, well, they're in the Word. We read some of them in the in the uh, Armor of God. Um, it would take a whole course, it could take many, many courses to cover God's values. Uh, but some good places to start are lists of attributes that the Lord gives us, like the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. um, The love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, the Lord describes what love looks like. All of those attributes are values of God, because God is love. Uh, The armor of God, which we already read, and um, the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, we'll turn to that and read that one together. Um, Galatians 5, if you have your Bible. It's good to read some scripture together instead of me just reading it all then you know I'm not making it up create uh, Galatians 5 verse 19 we'll read through 25 verse 19 Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So this its the principle of displacement. It tells a, It gives us a list of some of the things that are the works of the flesh, the works of an unredeemed mind, and then it gives us the fruits of the Spirit, which is what manifests when we have the Spirit reigning over our whole inner man. These are not things that we do so much as things we need to have. We can do rules, but values are something we hold inside. Um, the Psalms and Proverbs are also full of values. You read you know, just David's Psalms, his descriptions of the Lord, and the, the truths in the Proverbs. Um, they're full of God's values, but really the whole Bible is a giant description of God's values and character. The reason that values matter, part of the reason that values matter, besides just our, our command to become Christ-like, is that God is looking for people he can trust. Um, Second Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Other translations say uh, whose heart is wholeheartedly devoted to him or those who faithfully obey him. And I, I've heard this message from quite a few different speakers that God wants people he can trust. And it's something that I think is um, often neglected in our churches because we kind of, I think the Western church, the American church in particular, is kind of settled on setting an objective of salvation, some basic discipleship, and stay in church every week, you know, and that's kind of the standard that we've set for for christian depth but the lord is looking throughout the earth looking for people who are wholeheartedly devoted to him and um trust comes from shared values god wants people that he can trust without micromanagement because we share his values i'm going to illustrate this a little bit there's a um there's this list that uh, I don't, I didn't, I'm not the first one to, to come up with it or anything. But it's a very good list for, um, for vision casting, for organization of, a, of a, any ministry organization of a business or of a family. And it goes like this in order if you're taking notes. These go in order from top to bottom. Values, priorities, goals, plans, and steps. You have if you're if you're making a plan for your family, your your business, your ministry, or anything, you have to go in order. You have to identify your values, your priorities, your goals, your plans, and your steps. Um, and in the in the other direction, when it comes to sharing the vision with other people, trust can only go as high as the shared level. Uh, and I I was thinking about this in a in a work metaphor. You know, I can I'm a I'm a finished carpenter contractor, at least some of the time, and so i I can hire any I can hire a day laborer, somebody I don't even know, and I can give them a list of steps to do right they can anybody can i can give them a list of steps but i don't I can't trust them to make this to make their own list of steps if they don't know the plans and goals right I know the the goals and the plans for the job, therefore I can give them a list of steps but if I have somebody that's worked with me longer who he's been on the job from the beginning and he knows the plan, then I can say, hey, write out a list of steps for the new guy, right? I can trust him with that. If, I know somebody who, if I've got somebody who's been with me long enough, he knows, he knows the whole goal for the job, then I can trust him to write plans and steps. Um, if I have somebody who's been working for me for a long time and I know that he shares my priorities, I can trust him to do everything below that, right? But I can, I can't trust someone to set priorities and execute them for the whole job unless they share my values, and values are something that come that come from our heart, and uh, it, it, this is a really valuable model in uh, uh, in there. There's a lot of value even even in our families of identifying family values because from our values, whether you know you don't have to like, fill it all out all at once, but once you identify your values, that defines your priorities. Your priorities define your goals, and then from your goals, you can make plans, and then you can put steps to those plans, you know? And, uh, but it, the trust, trust can only go as high as the highest shared level. And so, I think what the word is saying when it says the Lord is looking for people who are wholeheartedly devoted for him, is that there's there's a lot of believers who know know the steps but you know we know we know the steps we know the commandments we know how to live a basic Christian life and that there's quite a few believers who know who know enough to kinda know the plans we, yeah, we know we know kinda know God's plans for the earth and God's plans for for all of us and and but there's fewer who know God's goals that takes a little more study a little more intimacy there's fewer still who know God's priorities And there's fewer still who know his values. But that's what he's looking for. He's looking for people that he can trust with the whole picture, with the whole delegation, because we share his values. Um, God has plans for the earth, and he wants people he can trust his plans with because they know his goals, his priorities, and values. And trust brings closeness, intimacy. Um, And this is the kind of the the contrasting factor when we look at... uh, we look at people in the Bible who were really close to God. People like Enoch, who walked with God and then was no more. Um, Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, and, you know, and the apostles in the New Testament that walked with Jesus. They had a trust, I mean, God said he trusted them. He walked with them like few people do. Um, how, do you, how do you get that kind of trust? You don't get that living mostly for yourself, and you don't get that with strongholds in your life that are contrary to God's values. Because if you've got strongholds, you know, like the Lord can trust you with a plan. It says the Lord won't give us more than we can handle, right? And we usually think of that in terms of like hardship, but it also relates to his, him trusting you with parts of his plan, trusting us with roles and jobs in his kingdom he wants to trust us with our plans, but if he knows that I've got an issue, I've got a stronghold of rebellion, and so as soon I, he's, I'm gonna start working his plan, but as soon as I come up with, against some bad authority, I'm gonna run the other way, or I'm, I'm gonna react because I've got a stronghold. Well, he, know, he knows that that limits what he can trust me with, right? Um, our, our culture today has a strong value of compromise. We are very much a have your cake and eat it too, kind of culture. Um, and we kind of like we we want we all want faith and we all want intimacy with the Lord, but we also like our convenience, you know? And we also like our our comforts. And um, the problem is that uh, the problem is that someday, and I I don't try to I don't try to base predictions or, or prophecy off of politics and world events too much, you know, because the world's been going through cycles for as long as we've known, and it continues to, but one day we're going to move towards a day when faith will no longer be convenient and comfortable. And there's going to be a lot of Christians who come up against, their who are confronted by their strongholds when they have, they have to choose their faith or their or their convenience and comfort. And uh, I, I heard a minister the other day asking, just asking this question. Would, there's, there's still there's a lot of professing Christians in our nation, but he was asking this question. Would you still be a Christian if you lived in China where it could cost you prison time? Or Afghanistan where it could cost you death? Um, and the word and the prophets both say that there's a harvest coming. There's going to be a great harvest, but there's also going to be a thinning. Uh, true faith grows under pressure, but convenience religion disappears. And I was sharing with Henry the other day that um, somebody I listened to was uh, was a he was a missionary in Afghanistan for for the last twenty years, and he's back in the states now. But he gets emails and texts and stuff from all of his all of his friends, um, his local, his house church pastors and stuff in Afghanistan. And they say that like revival, it's already breaking out. The stronger the Taliban and the oppression gets, the more hungry people get. Because true Christianity, revival has always bro- come out under, under pressure. I mean, that's the story of the, the Chinese underground church and uh, in the Soviet Union, in the Iron Curtain, and in North Korea. The, the church grows in authenticity under pressure but convenience religion disappears the people in Afghanistan who were just going to church doing the Christian thing cuz all their neighbors were and it was convenient for the last few years they've disappeared but but authenticity always grows under pressure um, this is kinda my my closing note there's a lot of wait and see going on today it's kinda of a kind of a, a rhetoric that goes around. Um, many people when faced with the possibility of challenges try to wait and see instead of making decisions at the outset. And that's just to, not what I'm talking about, but just an illustration. You know, I saw I saw something on the, from some news the other day of talking about like, uh, vaccine mandates or maybe it was mask mandates and somebody, they were interviewing like a sheriff and said, well, will you, will you enforce vaccine mandates? And he kind of said, oh, well, you know, we're, we're going to wait and see how it plays out and see if it gets to that point, you know. And the Lord, I heard the Lord spoke to me and he spoke um, Joshua 24. Choose this day who you will serve. And there's a there's a spirit of compromise and that's basically what wait and see is. You know, we'll, we'll wait and see how it plays out. I you know, to the questions that I that I heard somebody ask, would you still be a Christian if you lived in China or Afghanistan? There's a lot of Christians I think who are going, eh, well we'll wait and see how bad it gets. Then then we'll decide. You know, and, and the problem with that is that if you when you wait to make a decision, the decision, like the line that you think you might have gets a little further and further back, the more you wait, you know? And, and it's it ha- it's in compromise, it's in sin, you know? Like the sin, that, the sin or the strongholds that we tolerate in our life. Well, you know what, we'll make an exception for that. That one's not too bad. And then the line moves a little bit and a little bit more. And I felt like this is what the Lord wanted me to close with. Choose this day who you will serve. Because the... The basic truth is that all these things are our strongholds, our values, and uh, our role as believers. It comes down to choice. The primary factor in human change or human position is choice. Um, And it's interesting when I, it's really interesting to me when I hear biblical concepts taught by like secular people and teachers. And I I heard a, a podcast or something the other day and they were talking about, Human plasticity was the word they use. You know, plasticity from plastic. It means like moldability. You know, and these people are saying like these are like secular um, professors and stuff saying that you know we've discovered that people really can change themselves to whatever they want to be. They just have to want to, you know. And and it's for a long time. Well, it still is. In our culture, there's this strong uh, sense of of victimhood. You know, like I am—I am who I am because of my environment. I'm a victim of my circumstances. I'm a victim of of my trauma or the things I've been through. I and and it's this uh, helplessness, sort of. It's a belief in helplessness, but really at its core, it's it's just an excuse for our for our behavior it's an ex- it's basically saying i'm not responsible for my behavior because it's because i'm a victim you know because i, I can't help the way i am and uh, so I, I listened to this this podcast saying like humans really can overcome anything we really can but the the only really the only thing that makes the determining the ter- the determination whether or not you overcome or how you're gonna be, how you're gonna end up, whether you're gonna grow or not, is choice. Um, it, the, the primary um, influence of, of faith, of belief, is choice. You know, If you ever listen to, uh, listen to debates between Christians and atheists and stuff, which I do sometimes, like, what it comes down to, they both got all the same facts and truth in front of them, but it may, you make a choice. The atheist has, the, I mean, not not all atheists, but ath- there are atheists that are very well studied in the word and in Christianity, but they've made a choice. And uh, I think the Lord, his message for, for the body today is he's calling people to make a choice. He's calling Joshua 24, choose this day who he will serve. And... Um, there's a we need we need to i have been feeling a conviction in you know just in myself and and for the body that we need to kind of get off our hands and make choices instead of being um blown by the circumstances of of our environment and politics uh um, ephesians four says uh, 14 says we should no longer be like children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ it's like being nav- it's like navigating intentionally by a compass versus going out drifting and seeing where you end up you know and it's not just outward forces that blow us around, it's inward forces. It's these strongholds like I was talking about. It's not having an ordered inner man. So you're driven by your emotions one minute and by your physical urges the next minute and, and your thoughts the next minute. You know, we're people who are not ordered and disciplined and submitted to the Lord and dealing with the strongholds within us. We're, we're blown around like a storm because we because we have no choice, because we haven't made a choice, because we haven't taken our thoughts captive and our emotions and our bodies and subjected them to the word and to the Lord. And so um, Yeah, I think that I think that's the Lord's heart for, for today is for Christians to start living a lot more deliberately, to make choices and deal with things instead of instead of kind of just tolerating it and waiting it out. Um, I'm going to close with uh, Psalm 19, one of my favorite psalms. We can read that together. I'm going to turn to Psalm 19, start in verse 7. (coughs) Verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. I'm going to go through 14. It's one of my favorite psalms because it, every time I read it, it, it reminds me of the principles of, of order and of submission and the goodness of the order of the Lord. Um, Nineteen verse seven. I'm, I've got new King James. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making simple the what the Sorry, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for your favor on the earth and on your body, Lord. I pray that, um, that you would lead us, Lord, to clean hands and a pure heart, a pure heart that is, that is spotless because it's been purged of, of the strongholds and, and beliefs that we might hold on to, Lord. I just pray for, that uh, you continue to wash us, your bride, Father, and, and lead us in your truth, and your goodness. And uh, bless each and every one of us in this room as we go along our way this week. In your name, amen.